Welcome to Healing from Within with your host, Cheryl Glick, and co-host, Tim Fisher. Our program is designed to encourage self-investigation and self-mastery of emotions, thought processes of the mind, and how they inform the physical body. It's time to align your inner essence with your daily physical life for the purpose of promoting positive experiences. Now, here are your hosts, Cheryl Glick and Tim Fisher. morning and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host Cheryl Glick and I am here today with co-host Tim Fisher and very special guest Dr. Raymond Moody who is the author of the best-selling book Life After Life which has sold over 13 million copies and he is also the author of 11 additional books including his newest book Glimpses of Eternity which we will be talking about today. Good morning Dr. Moody. Good morning, Cheryl, and thank you so much for having me on your program. Oh, it's a pleasure. And thank you, Tim, too. Good morning, Dr. Moody, and good morning, Cheryl. Good morning. Dr. Moody, Dr. Moody is the leading authority on the near-death experience, a phrase he coined personally in the late 70s. Dr. Moody has distinguished himself by continuing his thirst for knowledge and understanding of the human energetic soul and the unlimited possibilities for enhancing and expanding higher consciousness for himself and for others. And personally, I am so thrilled to have the opportunity to discuss our perceptions about the human and spiritual aspects of both life and death. Raymond, I I remember when I first met you about five years ago. Yes, at the Learning Annex. Yes, it was at the Learning Annex in New York City. And as my own energy healing skills and mediumship abilities were evolving, I was guided to lectures to listen to the most expert leaders in the field of higher consciousness and spiritual communication, and I was guided to you. I was very much aware of spiritual energy surviving after death because of the many miraculous experiences I was having on a consistent basis, both through readings that I did for, um, as a medium and intuitive healer um, for other people, and coincidences and, and the synchronistic experiences which were starting to happen to me more and more as time went by. And when Cheryl and I met, it was a real coincidence, uh, at a yoga class in Long Island, and uh, to this day, we're still having a chuckle over coincidences that are always popping up in our lives. Yes, all the people popping up, the wonderful people, thank goodness. Uh, It's no coincidence, obviously, uh, that your research into near-death experiences made it possible for me to understand how some mediums, or just people, uh, regular, everyday people, uh, have their abilities heightened by a near-death experience. And recently That's right. one of our, and, our um, you know, I've seen that many times where someone has a near-death experience and comes back with um, some ability that seems really beyond the norm. I, the first person I ever knew who had that was a woman named Frances Stokes, who was the, a medical receptionist in the town where I lived. This was about, oh, 1970 or so, and... Um, she was the first one to tell me that this this woman was just you know a regular down to earth person, an excellent um, medical receptionist for my dad was a doctor in that town, 
And um, he found out about her case through his friend, who was the doctor for whom um, she was a receptionist. And I remember her talking to me about that with great awe, that she said that after her near-death experience, she had this um, ability to... For example, she said when she would step in the elevator with somebody, she could kind of sense what was going on with them. And um, and I, I think that what happens is that what th- this experience definitely breaks down the boundaries of the ego in people. And, um, you know, I was very impressed, Cheryl and Tim, that at the beginning of your show you said that... Uh, what this show is all about is the importance of self-investigation. And I don't know if you're aware of that, but um, that is exactly what, for example, Plato is all about. Um, uh, Plato, who was, I guess, most famous for being the founder of the university system, all the subsequent universities are direct models of Plato's original academy, he was one of the founders of Western thought, and he said very emphatically that um, unless we really investigate ourselves and look very deeply at this question of life after death, he really hardly even would count somebody as a human being who at at least didn't didn't, um, look into that question and take it very seriously. And um, he said that all of philosophy, which in that day was just learning in general, um, uh, that all of philosophy was a kind of rehearsal for dying. And so I think it's very interesting that your theme, which is uh, the importance of self-investigation, is exactly how I got interested in this topic back in 1962 when I was an undergraduate philosophy student at the University of Virginia because um, the first one of these near-death experiences I ever learned about was from Plato. And in the um, the final book of the Republic, there's this story he tells with great um, uh, reverence about a warrior named Ur who was believed dead on the battlefield. But during the funeral, this soldier just sat up and he was revived and he talked about going into another realm. And then three years later in 1965, still there at UVA, I met Dr. George Ritchie, who was a a professor of psychiatry at that time at UVA, who had actually had this experience. And um, since that time, I've had the wonderful uh, honor, as it really is, to talk with literally thousands. I mean, you know, people throw off words like, oh, thousands, and so on, kind of like Casually, but I'm I'm talking seriously here. I have literally talked with thousands of people, um, beginning in the early '60s, who who had this uh, experience of of seeming to um, leave their bodies and go through a passageway into a light and uh, see their relatives who had passed away and undergo a memory review in which every single detail of their lives is portrayed and they get to they say that when you when you review your life and, and the course of this experience at the end of life you don't see it from the perspective you had when you were doing these actions 
but rather when you, you it's like looking at someone else when you you see an action that you did and you remember doing it but when the action has its effect then you you find yourself embedded in the consciousness of the person with whom you've interacted and so therefore if you see yourself doing a mean spirited thing to somebody else then you feel directly and empathically the hurt that you brought about in that person or if you um if you uh, see yourself doing a kind-hearted action, then you feel the good feelings you brought about. So, you know, talk about self-investigation. I mean, well, you know... That's what uh, this show is all about. It is. We're and, very and, much more than we appear to be. We're both spiritual, energetic presence, and we are physical presence. And when we can learn to combine yeah. both arenas we can actually understand more about life and death. We now, can. I wanted to ask you about Dr. Ritchie. I, was, I, I had a question. You mm-hmm. just brought him up. Um, mm-hmm. Can you give a clinical definition of death and a near-death mm-hmm. experience and also tell us what Dr. Ritchie actually described to you? Because I know he's a friend. And he is, colleagues. and George died about three years ago. Um, mm-hmm. He's passed away now, but he was the finest human being I have ever known. And in terms of death, well, you know, there's a, there's a complication here, Cheryl, because um, death just means, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's by definition the state that you don't get back from, right? That it's the mm-hmm. final irreversible cessation of life. So the reason I call these things near-death experiences is that since they recovered, the people by definition weren't dead, right? Right. But although you have to say that, there is the other fact on the other, on the other hand, which is a medical fact, that I have known many people for whom there is no medical accounting for how they could possibly have survived. The, and the people who, for example, George Ritchie, uh, was um, in a, a state of apparent death for at least nine minutes. He, he was pronounced dead um, twice. And the doctor who, who, uh, who actually ended up resuscitating him by injecting adrenaline directly in his heart said years later that, that in the long practice of medicine that he... He said that Dr. Ritchie's case was the most unusual case he had ever seen in the practice of medicine. And basically, George said that he sort of came to. He had, he had been pronounced dead of double lobar pneumonia. This was in um, uh, December of 1943. And he um, sort of came to, and he saw his own body in the... Uh, in the bed in this hospital, and he had this eerie experience. He said, you know, when you're that age and you're there in a hospital, you see all these other people in hospital beds um, who look like you. I mean, you know, everybody had the crew cut, and they were all in good shape. And uh, he said he literally couldn't tell which, which body or which body he belonged to. But then finally he saw his... Uh, fraternity ring on his he finger. Was, and he was snapped back into his body because it wasn't his time. I believe, you know, we come, we have a time, a life plan, yeah. um, a destiny to fulfill and lessons or, or opportunities, opportunities and experiences to have. 
And when it's yeah. time, we just transform, and our energy just moves to another dimension. I call it another dimension. But getting back for a minute to the day I met you, mm-hmm. I remember hearing you say repeatedly that you believed some part of us survived physical death. But I couldn't at that time, forgive me for a minute, I was a little rude at that time in my development. I couldn't understand why you didn't say you just know or knew that it it did. Because I was doing readings for so many clients and getting so much accurate information and sensing the presence of souls and spirit. So it was hard for me to understand after 40 years of documenting why you just couldn't say I know, and I guess I was so passionate about sharing these understandings with everybody is that I wanted everybody to step up to the plate and shout it out with me. But now as I re- <laughs> I was kind of enthusiastic in those days. <laughs> now as I reflect on your position as a medical doctor dealing with the scientific and methodical approach to proving the survival of the soul after death, your approach was necessary for your work. So after the lecture, I went up to apologize for my strong viewpoint. Oh, well, now it's, now it's coming back to you. <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> on that note, Cheryl and Raymond, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll okay. talk about your first meeting at the Learning Annex in New York. <laughs> then I'll talk about that question. Your online community for positive change. Seventh Wave Network. You are tuned in to Healing from Within with Cheryl Glick and Tim Fisher. We'd love to hear from you on our program today. Please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or if you prefer, you can send an email to starsforus at optonline.net. That's stars, the number four, us, at optonline.net. Now, back to Healing from Within. And welcome back. You're listening to Healing from Within. Today, uh, our special guest is Dr. Raymond Moody, who is an expert on near-death experience and the author of Glimpses of Eternity, his newest book, and our host, Cheryl Glick, author of Life is No Coincidence. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. So, Raymond, after the lecture, um, I went up to you and I said my name was Cheryl, and you responded your wife was Cheryl. Yep. And I laughed, and we both laughed, and I asked if I could send you a copy of my book, Life is No Coincidence, and you graciously accepted And I, I remember saying... I hoped our paths would cross again because the sincerity and scope of your knowledge and love for life so stimulated my own energy force to continue to do this investigative work. Raymond, you know, people often ask me how I became interested in spiritual communication and an exploration of the concept of life after death. So I tell them about a spiritual visit I had from my grandpa the night before my dad died. My grandfather came, I saw, I felt him in shadow next to me, and he told me to write something for my dad. And the next day I was informed by my sister that I had to write my dad's eulogy. Uh-huh. I, ne- I never did forget the feeling of that visit and comforting connection yeah. to my grandfather's energy. Uh, 
Raymond, have you ever had any spiritual visitations or been in deep meditation where you were aware of spiritual energy? Absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think this experience you are talking about is actually uh, quite common. And uh, I, too, had an experience in which uh, years after my grandmother died, I saw her just as vividly as I have ever seen anyone else and had a very deep and intensive uh, experience with her that, that sort of changed my life. Now, in terms, Cheryl, of what you were talking about um, in terms of the difficulty of putting this into proof, I mean, you can have personal experiences and thereby know on that basis. But then when you try to um, give a proof that will stand up for others who haven't had such an experience. You formerly got into real difficulties, but I think that difficulty is gone now because uh, I think the essential problems have been solved that will eventually make real rational enlightenment on the afterlife questions uh, I be, think it's uh, within our grasp and our lifetime when the I, veil or this division of energies will be made clearer through scientific and technical research. And, and, I do. I, I mean, do. so many of us know it to be true, and the others who are afraid of it um, or haven't had any experiences, or even who have had experiences but but push it away because they're just too frightened by it. They want to be in the physical life. They don't really want to know about a life after life. Yes, exactly. Most people people take this this, uh, seriously. And, you know, one of the easy out for people who don't want to face this is that they can look at these near-death experiences and say, well, it's just the chemistry of the brain as the oxygen is diminished, um, the, uh, this creates a hallucinatory phenomenon in the brain. But uh, now we know that this identical same experience that we know is the near-death experience is also very common among the bystanders or onlookers at the death of someone else. Uh, physicians will tell you this, that they experience something as a patient leaves their body or Family members standing by may uh, say that they see this light in the fill up the room, or they see their relatives' bodies or spirit seem to leave the body at the moment of death. And in numerous cases, we have uh, instances where people feel that they uh, accompany their dying loved one part way toward this light, which is the theme. The book you mentioned, "Glimpses of Eternity," uh, which is just been published by Guidepost, is, is my book on this subject. And if you think about it, um, that eliminates the, the explanation that uh, these things are entirely the product of the, uh, uh, the, the brain winding down because the bystanders are not ill or injured, and yet they have identically these same experiences. So I think with this new information, we're, we're into a situation where it's going to become increasingly difficult for the so-called skeptics who, um, who actually, in terms of, of, uh, of reality, are not skeptics at all. They don't, it, 
the, the so-called skeptics don't even know what that word means. And interestingly, and I can say that as a professor of ancient Greek philosophy, uh, you know, these it's plain these so-called skeptics they haven't even gone to the trouble of looking up the word. They don't even know what they're talking about. But but nonetheless, my point being that um, these the sort of um, flimsy uh, kinds of things that these pseudo-skeptics uh, give to dismiss this are now kind of swept away by the fact that uh, people who are not ill or injured, who are standing near a death, report uh, these same things, including, incidentally, I have quite a number of cases in which the bystanders um, at a death uh, empathically co-lived the life review of the person who was Oh, dying. that's fantastic. I yeah. haven't heard that. But I know, Raymond, in your new book, you're coining a new phrase called shared death experiences. Yes. And that's what we're talking about here. And I know as a hospice volunteer for the last seven years, I see that time and that transition from this plane to the next plane as an opportunity uh, for both the souls departing and those remaining a little longer to grow both in a human and a spiritual way. You, you know, you were also talking about doctors. I know I read uh, that you tell a story about a doctor, a young doctor, who actually saw uh, a cloud or energy lifting up and yes. went to talk to other doctors. Could you tell us about that? Yes, this is something I have heard for a long time. I, um, I became aware of this back in the 70s. One of my own medical school professors, who was a wonderful woman, uh, during my first year in medical school, told me of an event in which she had um, uh, empathically co-lived in the, the death of her mother. She was trying to resuscitate her mother and saw her mother leave her body and, and this, this whole thing. And so I began to get interested in this. And back in the late 70s and early 80s, I heard this mostly from physicians. And, and what doctors will occasionally tell you is at the... The point where the patient dies, they seem to see what what seems to be like a transparent replica of the person. Just sort of stand up or move away from the body and and move away. Or or sometimes this is described as a sort of roundish, um, golden, gray mist almost, although they say that... uh, it, it's, it seems to have a very complicated structure that they have a hard time describing. But um, this is something that doctors will tell you, that sometimes at the, the death of a patient, they see this, uh, what else can we call it, it but don't spirit, they call that I guess. Etheric, uh, or energetic? Yeah, level? I mean, you know, we're, words fail, but I guess the closest uh, word we have for it is, is spirit. And, and um, you know, this is, um, I, I think, as a general rule, doctors are not going to just broadcast this information. But uh, if you, yeah, I mean, I've just heard it from so many physicians over so many years. It, it does seem to be a fairly common occurrence. Well, I was raised to believe that uh, this life was what we had. My father was a podiatrist for doctor and uh, very methodical. Um, however, 
about 15 years ago when I had my own experience with that uh, impression from my grandfather, which was a visit, not a dream. Mm -hmm. I started to research and meet many people who could help me, and I developed my own ability. And I want to tell you just a quick story. Um, I was asked one day by a student of mine to do a reading for her uh, daughter's boyfriend who had just passed that day. Mm -hmm. uh, he was 19, and he died on a motorcycle accident, and his name was Michael. And uh, I didn't know if I could make a connection that soon after death, but I wanted to help these people. They were so distraught. And I, I did a meditation, and I actually sensed the boy lift off his motorcycle and lift up into spirit, and he looked back, and he, and, and, and he knew he was so sad to leave everybody, but he looked ahead and knew it was his time to go, <laughs> and he was being called, and, and it was a beautiful uh, place or experience that he had to have. And he went, and then I got a lot of information. It was factual about the, the funeral that had not even happened yet that they told me later. So he gave me a lot of information, but I actually in that one time felt him lift up Yep. And it was so beautiful and sad at the same time for the people left behind. But I do hospice work, and I do that because I don't want people to feel so sad. I want them to know it's just a transition and part of our growth as souls and eternal energy. And, uh, well, that's and very Tim, similar I think to what I did. You know, I mean, you and I are doing the same thing Plato did 2,500 years ago, which is to try to bring to people's attention that this uh, this world that we seem to be in is not all there is. Yes. And that and this we're is, not all that we appear to be. We're much more. Yeah. Well, you we're, know... The this, possibilities of our growth and involvement are so much. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Healing from Within. We're listening to Healing from Within with our guest, uh, Dr. Raymond Moody, an expert on the near-death experience and the author of Life After Life. His website is lifeafterlife.com. And our host is Cheryl Glick, author of the forthcoming Whispers from Spirit. And Dr. Moody, would, would you say that most people who describe a near-death experience afterwards have a life altering effect and they absolutely do Tim and, and I will qualify that a little bit by saying that near-death experiences are spread out on a sort of continuum that is that not everybody has the whole picture some people may say that they just all they remember is they got out of their body and they saw their body from a distance and maybe they entered part way to this tunnel whereas other people and typically the people who had extremely lengthy cardiac arrest have this whole full-blown picture of going into the light and experiencing this great this being of love and light and so on. And of the people who have that kind of experience, these very transcendental experiences, they come back very positively with two statements. That number one, they just absolutely have no more fear of death anymore because their experience convinced them personally that what we call death is just a uh, stepping over into some other state of reality. And then the other thing they say is that whatever they were chasing before 
And, you know, I mean, it's like I can tell you as a psychiatrist but also as a human being that it looks to me like most people chase something, right? Like many people in this crazy world we're in now are chasing money or uh, chasing power, which is such a laugh, or uh, chasing, um, you know, fame or, you know, whatever they want. Or, or as some people like me chase knowledge, but whatever people are chasing before their experience, they come back saying that what they learned through this experience, that the most important thing that we can do while we're alive is to learn how to love. Because they say that's what they see in this review. If you think about it, if you have an experience in which you see that everything that you have ever done to anybody else and that you feel directly the feelings that have brought about in that other person's life, well, then naturally you want to be a loving person. Now, that said, I can also say that they typically tell us that it doesn't necessarily make that much easier. In other words, even, even after you have this wonderful experience where you see your whole life and you come to appreciate the... Um, the fact that, that what life is all about is learning to love, that they say, nonetheless, it's very difficult to put that, that into practice even after you have an experience like this. So what this does typically with people is to send them on this lifelong spiritual quest where they try to understand this experience better and to, to put it into words and to, make, and to put it into action in their lives. And, um, you know, I think whatever anybody thinks about near-death experiences, I think there is one thing that we can say as an obvious uh, fact out of this, and that is that life is a two-phase process. And what I mean by that is that in the first phase, we go through our life forward, sort of, like looking at it from the point of view of the actor or the protagonist, but then when we die, apparently this thing is reversed and you see the same action from the point of view of the other characters or actors in this. And you think about having an experience like that, it has to have a very powerful impact on people. So yes, this is something I think this this whole experience that really very dramatically transforms people. And I think it also transforms the people around them. They, well, they it does. This and, you knowledge know, and this awareness to change yes. their own lives and others. By the way, Raymond, I have also met and heard Danny and Brinkley uh-huh. because his near-death experience. I, I, I know uh, he's a friend and you have worked with him. Uh-huh. And he was pronounced dead, I believe, I think it was 28 minutes and now he has the ability to touch or embrace a person, and he sees a whole running movie, like a vision of their uh. life path and what they're supposed to experience while they hear. He didn't have that ability before his severe accidental death, and I know it was by, because I spoke with him, it was by, um, uh, he was electrocuted by, while talking uh. on the phone. Would you want to tell us something well, about Well, I don't that really story? know about that. I think that... That was not exactly the story I understood about Danian, but he is, as you know, a very enigmatic person. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I love Danian very much, but 
in terms of what he says, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. But, uh, I mean, I right. just... Let's go on to something else. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, Raymond, I, I was talking to you about this before, uh, we both saw Clint Eastwood's new film. Yeah. yeah. Starring Matt... I, I went the night it opened. Starring oh. Matt Damon, and it was entitled Hereafter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in my opinion, as an intuitive healer medium... It was quite accurate in describing how the main character was able to get his messages from yeah. the spirit and what he actually sensed and felt. He was using clairvoyance, clairaudience, uh, clairsentience. Yeah. But what disturbed me, you know, it really disturbed me, and I started to cry. Uh-huh. It was suggested in the movie that when he was a boy, uh, I don't know his name, but this medium, Matt Damon's character, had several near-death experiences and was yeah. also very ill. And, and he believed that his brain had been altered in some way and that he was damaged. He, he saw his ability as a disability, not a gift. But a oh, gift. yeah, well, I've heard that too. But, but, you know, I think that there's all kinds of degrees of this, Cheryl. And um, I, I have no ability to evaluate, for example. Now, the... The people who are most famous for this, for example, and who who get on the stage and do it, that's one thing. And I have no rational basis to make a comment about that the other way. But the kind of thing you do, which is sit around with people on a one-on-one basis, and what is very clear to me is that that is a fact of human reality in the sense that there are just some people who can do something that I don't understand. For example, we have had a wonderful um, assistant that we love very dearly. She's like our family member. uh, She's been with us for 18 or 19 years now. And Linda, first of all, she doesn't doesn't do this professionally by any means. And, And... also, it's not very common with her. In some cases, see, it seems to happen just once in a while with people. And then with other people, it seems to have happen on a regular basis. There seems to be all sorts of gradation. But I've just mm-hmm. seen many cases where, uh, you know, Linda sort of stands on her broom and looks at me and says, well, this is going to happen or this is going to happen. And Lo and behold, I mean it does. <laughs> it does. I mean, I you know what can I do? It's yeah, um... there are many. Yes, there are many <laughs> ways this ability to connect to higher energy manifest. And some people, like you were saying, I work on a one-to-one basis. And what I try to do through the messages I receive or the feelings or impressions is to help people improve the quality of their life and health. So that they can yes. live this life without I wonder what as much think. fear and ego. I wonder what you think about the folks who do it in a before four hundred people on a stage. I mean, well, I, to me, uh, that one is, of my mentors, Robert Brown, um, he he is an international medium and he works with Johnny. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yes, and 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 I have studied with him over the years, and and he wanted me to be able to do it that way, but I said, well, my, my, my ability is like different. I'm working on a one-to-one basis, 
and through yeah. educating. I'm a teacher and through educating, through writing, and through helping people who I believe I personally. Believe. I wondered what They're you thought about. Me. I wondered what you thought about that because to me, if you think about the intensity of what you do in your sessions, it just always has struck me as rather. Iffy that somebody would get up and, you know, I mean, people very vulnerable in a big audience. Whereas on a one-on-one basis, you can sort of, but when you got 300 people there, holy mackerel, who knows what they're going through. Well, sometimes things, if a a person is not trained and sensitive, uh, they can make mistakes and cause harm. You know, when I first became aware of what I had to do, I kept it quiet. Uh, but then I realized that this communication between different energy dimensions and, and the knowledge that life survives physical death was the greatest knowledge I would ever be privileged to know. Yeah. So I decided to use it to help anyone who came to me. Uh, yeah. I didn't want them to be afraid of death anymore, because I'm not. But they could choose to become aware of their eternal divine energy or soul and also their physical essence, the physical yeah. world. So that's been my my way, healing with Reiki, energy healing, and also the messages. Um, and I've stuck to my guns about that because I haven't wanted to do the other. Not that I yeah. maybe I can't even do the other, but I'm doing it the way that it seems to be happening. And we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing from Within with our host, Cheryl Glick. Visit her at CherylGlick.com, S-H-E-R-Y-L-G-L-I-C-K.com. And today our special guest is near-death expert, Dr. Raymond Moody. His latest book has just been published by Guideposts, Glimpses of Eternity. Welcome back, Cheryl and Raymond. Thank you, and thanks again for having me on the show. It's wonderful. Uh, Raymond, I think uh, I I had a glimpse of eternity in a description that my mother gave me before her death. She had a near-death experience, and she described it in its entirety to me, and mm-hmm. I have written about it in my book. Now, you have to know that my mother um, had no interest in the spiritual concepts or awareness of life after death and that she told me this story even before I was doing the work I'm doing uh, is very interesting. So here's what she described. She told me that there was a man standing at the foot of her bed who she did not know. And I said to her, uh, was his name Timothy? Because at the time there was a nurse that kept appearing in the hospital, and his name was Timothy when she was having difficulty. And he seemed to be a spiritual helper of some kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was amazed how he lifted up my spirits. And um, she told me, no, it wasn't Timothy. She didn't know him, and she told me she was not afraid. And she told me that the man had said that she had to complete something before she could go with him to a safe and lovely experience. She didn't say place. Mm-hmm. She said experience. So I asked her if she knew what she had to do. Should I call her brother? Because she was very close to her brother. They were older, and he hadn't been able to come to see her because he wasn't well. And uh, she said, no. I thought she might be waiting to see him before passing, but she told me that was not what she had to do. And the day before she died, before she went into a coma, she said to me, 
and I remember these words, life has been very good. I had mm-hmm. a good breakfast, Great. and I love you. Oh, and nice. I don't think I ever heard that from my mother because she, they didn't talk like that. They were parents from the um, Depression, and uh, life was a little hard for them. Yeah. But I, I remember that. And I think in those simple words, I believe she expressed the reason a soul has a physical life. It seems that we should all learn gratitude and love and trust that all is well. Yeah. Here. You know, yes, I've heard that same kind of and thing be, just and very regularly, Cheryl, no. uh, from people who are dying. It's, uh, I think from the movies or the image that people conjure up in their minds of death is like some sort of gosh-awful thing. And uh, sadly, that does happen sometimes, but... Um, well, the great, great majority. Difficult. Yeah, well, the great majority of uh, cases I've seen by far of people and, who are dying from a terminal illness. The mm-hmm. the actual death is is not you know is it's challenging. It, it, it's well, you know, I think people just do very well with it, and and you know, most people do that same kind of thing as your mother. They just say, well. You know, they reach this point of acceptance and, and that uh, that gratitude for life and so on that often comes out. Yeah, yeah. So but I think also she had a gift because she she was able to see someone and he he made her feel safe that yeah. all would be okay. Apparently. However, it was a dream or a spiritual visitation. I really think it, it was yeah. a gift to her at that time. And um, you know about. of people who are dying in a hospice situation or, you know, where there's a a gradual uh, process of dying, Um, about uh, 40% of them, uh, Cheryl, have that experience of seeing uh, often a relative or another takeaway figure who, who comes in the room to sort of take them across, yeah. Yeah, and I do hospice work. So I I have been with many people over the last seven years, and and I believe my work is just to help them know that everyone will be all right, the people who remain here and the people who have to go on. Yeah. And that's how I feel about it. And I think, Tim, I think you wanted to ask a question about uh, does one have a religious... um, well, we were wondering what did you want to say, in, Tim? in your new uh, phrase that you've coined in your latest book, uh, Shared Death Experience, um, are men or women more likely to experience that with uh, someone? You know what I think, Tim, dying? from long experience with this, my sense of it is that men and women have experiences like these at about the same rate. Mm. I would but, agree. But that women are generally more comfortable in talking about emotional things. So they are more likely to be, to talk with you about it. And uh, whereas men tend to sort of just listen and hold back and don't want to talk about it. And I've just seen that many, many times. I, I once knew a, a, a person who went through medical school with me, and he and I were friends for the whole four years of medical school, and he full well knew that I was investigating these near-death experiences. I was well known for it even when I went to medical school. And and so my friend 
knew full well about my research, but during our first year of residency, after we had graduated from medical school, knowing each other for four years, our families spent a lot of time together, one day he called me into his office and he said, Raymond, there's something I've been meaning to tell you. And he described this very dramatic near-death experience he had had. And um, so I think, generally speaking, men are hold back a little bit, but I think that they have the, uh, you know, this experience with equal regularity as women. And, and you ask about the religion. I, um, re- whether a person is religious or not doesn't seem to have anything to do with whether they, with they have a near-death experience or a shared death experience. However, after an experience like these, if they haven't had any sort of religious understanding or idea, they do wake up to the importance of the the spiritual dimension afterward. Yes, as I did. I didn't have a near-death experience, but I had a happening of sorts and many, many sins, so I did wake up to it. Okay. Tim, did you have another question? Um well, if you've had a shared death experience, do you think that that uh, gives you a, a better opportunity or ability to communicate with the deceased is one of the things we were wondering about. We've got to keep it short, though, because we're going to close I don't know. I don't know. As a general rule, I haven't heard from people with these shared death experiences. I haven't heard them as often say that, that they're seem to be this continual contact. No, so, but I don't know. Death. I don't know. I think that now there will be a lot of people investigating these shared death experiences, and eventually we will have a lot better knowledge about All right. Well, Dr. Moody, we really want to thank you for uh, being with us today. And our host, Cheryl Glick, author of Life is No Coincidence, and Dr. Raymond Moody, author of the newest book, Glimpses of Eternity, the knowledgeable, authentic uh, journey to the heart of our spiritual essence. And uh, join us next week. Uh, when we welcome Robert Hansen, renowned medium, lecturer, and martial arts expert, Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Healing from Within. Until then. <laughs>